0: I've mentioned this to you before. It's one of my favorite books. I read it a thousand years ago. The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. It's a wonderful satire. I recommend it to you. You'll find it both humorous and convicting. It's a series of letters from the senior demon and mentor called Uncle Screwtape. And he's mentoring his nephew and apprentice demon Wormwood and Wormwood has been assigned to a human being and his job is to keep the human being from the enemy and you know the enemy is God, right? So that's the demon's job. Keep the human being away from God. In chapter two, there's some bad news. The human being has made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Senior Demon Screwtape writes and says to him, don't worry about it too much because a lot of these people who profess uh, to uh, join the enemy camp soon come back to us. Now, this is a very important thing for us to understand. I think most of you who've been in this church for a while, you understand what this is. This is the tear in the church. This is the one who simply made a profession of faith. They've never really given themselves to Christ. They don't really love him. They, they're unconcerned about obeying him. They attend church some, but they're not truly converted. Um, you guys know, if you know anything about the church, this is epidemic. I'll say it from, I'll own it from my own country. This is epidemic where I grew up. Just a lot of churchgoers, not a whole lot of people in love with Christ and following him. Of course, you can hear Satan laughing. Chapter nine, Screwtape counsels Wormwood. He says this, this is a brilliant insight by C.S. Lewis. He says, talk to your human being about being Moderate. Moderate in all things, particularly his profession of faith. Moderate in his profession of faith because religion is very good for us up to a point. You got to love this insight. Religion is very good for us, the demon says. It's very good for us that people would feel self righteous and feel good about themselves apart from a Savior. It's very good for us up to a point, a moderate, this is the the great line, a moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all, plus it's more fun. The demon says it's just more amusing, you know, to deceive the churchgoer into believing that they are indeed. Part of the body of Christ. So I looked up this word moderate. I thought this was interesting. It means to to be restrained, to be ordinary, to be mediocre. A moderated Christianity. What an awful thought, right? What an awful thought to be guilty of a mediocre Christianity. And again, I'll talk about my home country. It's an epidemic. An epidemic where I grew up. Most of what passes for Christianity today is biblically unrecognizable. You have people just giving mental assent to historical facts, a little bit of church attendance, maybe some giving to the church. You know, it's kind of that spare change mentality. Maybe serve the church if it's not too time consuming. Avoiding the really bad sins. You know, as Francis Chan says, try not to cuss too much anymore, right? Maybe speak of Jesus out in the world if it's not too uncomfortable. But when you read the Bible, that's not what you see, right? That's not what we see in the Bible. You open your Bible and you don't see mental ascent. You see hearts on fire, right? You don't see obligatory church attendance. You see passionate lifestyle worship. You don't see spare change giving. You see sacrificial giving. You don't see, uh, you know, attendance when it's convenient. You see being poured out for Jesus, You don't see merely avoiding the bad sins, but seriously pursuing holiness. You don't see sheepishly speaking about Jesus, but boldly proclaiming him in word and in deed. So I'll I'll say this and you already know it. Moderated Christianity is no Christianity at all, right? It's just no Christianity at all. In fact, it's kind of an insult to God. It's an insult to Jesus. You can't go with Christ lest you love him. He says, I'll have nothing to do with those who are lukewarm, I'll have nothing to do with them. So last week, we saw in Mark chapter 10, Jesus destroyed moderated Christianity. This guy, this young rich ruler, man, he came up, he was eager, and he asked the right question. He came to the right source. He was ready to make a profession of faith in Christ, and Christ stiff-armed him, right? You remember? Christ showed him God. He showed him the law. He showed him his own sin, and he revealed that if you're going to go with me, I am your absolute lord and god. And why did the man not go? You know why? Why did the man not go with Jesus? He was rich. Jesus obviously could see into the man's heart. He saw the idol, and you can't go with Jesus if you have an idol. Whatever the idol is, you can't go. You know? You just can't walk with God If you love someone, something, or you're pursuing someone or something more than God. So this is what we saw last week. He told the rich young ruler, man, you got to kill your love for money and love me supremely. So as we talked about that last week, it it was on my mind this week to do a couple of more sermons on how Jesus talked about the gospel, how Jesus evangelized and some of the things we learn by just simply reading The red words. So he has a lot to say here in Matthew 13. And you heard me read the text earlier. It's one of my frequently, most frequently asked questions as a pastor. We've talked about this many times. Someone professes to be a Christian. They get baptized. They hang around a while, then they leave. I mean, there's a couple of guys, I think, walking the streets of Milan right now that used to be part of this fellowship uh, that I actually baptized. Right. This happens. We talked about Joshua Harris last year. This happens. Famous pastor in the States who just walked off. What is this? What is this? What is this pseudo Christianity? What is this? So how do we understand it? Was this someone who had who had a, who had salvation, but now does not Obviously, if you're biblically literate, you know, that's not what it means. It means they were never genuine to begin with. And so I think looking at this, the parable of the sower will help us understand some of these issues. Verses 1 and 2, back to Matthew 13, just verses 1 and 2. Jesus is sitting in a boat with a great multitude gathered on the shore. Verse 3, he begins to speak to them in parables. We know a parable is a simple story that conveys a deeper Meaning, verse 4 through 8, he recounts the parable of the sower. By the way, this parable is in two other Gospels, uh, Mark 4 and Luke 8. Verse 9, Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is always the case, right? This is always the case. If you have ears to hear, hear. How many times have you witnessed to people for years and they, it's, like, it's like they won't hear it? They just won't hear it. Yeah, it's got to stay at it, right? Got to be persistent. Verse 10, the disciples asked Jesus, why are you teaching in parables? Verse 11, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Now, this may be a shock to some of you if you don't know your Bibles well. Oftentimes people will say, well, parable is a simple story to help help someone understand. Jesus is saying that's not the case here. Jesus is saying, I'm hiding truth from them. Why would Jesus do this? You know why. If you know your Bible, why does Jesus do this? It's judgment. Okay? It's judgment. Matthew 12 is a turning point. Some of you are aware back in in Matthew 12, the, the, the religious leaders accused Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Satan. They had utterly rejected their Messiah. And so he begins, instead of openly preaching, he begins to teach in parables. Okay, this is a judgment on the nation of Israel that has rejected Messiah. Right. That's what this is. I know that that's probably hard for some of you to. Maybe to understand. I hope not. Israel has made a corporate rejection of her Messiah as evidenced by their religious leaders. This is judgment. Why is he teaching in parables? It has not been granted to them. A lot of Christians in the modern church don't like the sound of that. They don't like the sound of that. They won't even actually hear it. I get critiqued for it. I say, well, I just hey, I'm reading the red words, right? These are the red words. This is what Jesus says. Don't get mad at me. Jesus says, I'm hiding it from them. It's judgment. You know, this is a a warning for us, right? A warning for us. You know, people that grow up in the church, they've heard it all their lives, and yet they've never responded. They've never genuinely... Some have never genuinely responded. This is dangerous. This is a dangerous game to play with God. God simply gives men over to their own desires. If you want sin more than you want God, if you want the world more than you want God, if you want sex more than you want God, if you want pornography more than you want God, if you want anything more than you want God, right... At some point, he'll simply give you over to it. You know the story, right? What did he do to Pharaoh? He hardened his heart. This was a judgment on Pharaoh. This is God's prerogative. You know, just because you're still walking around, uh, breathing and enjoying life, doesn't mean you're still able to repent and believe. You know, there's this... uh, superficial kind of presumption on God. I can come to him anytime I want. I'll play my games over here, but I'll come to God whenever I want because, you know, he'll receive me. Listen, listen, you got to take the lesson from Pharaoh and you got to take a lesson from, from, from our text here. You don't get to play games with the God of the universe. You don't get to come at your convenience. What does the Hebrews say? I think I wrote it down. What is the, I want to give you the text. Today, if you hear his voice, what? Do not harden your heart. You may never get another chance. You may be in church the rest of your life and never get another chance because you no longer have the ears to hear. This is serious business, beloved. This is serious business. You know, Romans 1, God gave them over to their lusts. He gave them over to their degrading passions. He gave them over to their depraved minds. At some point in God's judicial prerogative, he gives men over to what they want. Has he done them any wrong? It's what they want. They don't want God. The first century Jews did not want Messiah. They did not want this Messiah. They wanted a, a great king that would deliver them. They didn't want this one, the one true one. They didn't want him. And of course, we know they'll end up crucifying him. So God gives men over to their own desires. Let me just read real quick to you and we'll move on. John 12, uh, verses 37 to 40 talks about this fact. But though Jesus had performed many signs among them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet. For this reason, they could not believe for God has blinded their eyes. Listen, all all I'm trying to get you to understand here, we need to have a little humility and we need to tremble before this God. And when you have someone in your life who's presuming on God, that that I can come to him at any moment, whenever I choose, again, a dangerous game to play. Presumption will always be met with uh, indignation. Do not presume on God. Do not presume on him. I'm going to say it again. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. But repent and believe. So you heard me read it. Verse 16 and 17. Jesus says, but blessed are your eyes. And I just want to remind you that your eyes are blessed, right? You know the truth. Your eyes are blessed. You're like the, you're like the 12 guys that are standing here. He says, man, you see and you hear what prophets had desired to see and hear, but they didn't see it. They didn't hear it. You have. We live on this side of the cross. It's done deal. We've seen how much he loves us, right? We've seen it. How can it not radically alter the way we think and live? If it hasn't radically altered the way we think and live, we haven't really believed it, right? Blessed are our eyes. We, we, we see it in the word and we hear it. Look how much God loves us. Look what he's done for us. How can we still love our sins so much? Hey, listen, I'm not talking perfection. I told you last week, I don't teach perfection. None of us are ever going to arrive at perfection. But what I'm calling you to is premier principle um, affection, right? Jesus is your primary, principal, premier affection. So, yeah, no moderated Christianity at ICM. If you're one of those moderated guys, yeah, well, I don't think he would still be here. But we don't do that here. So... Mark 4.10 tells us that Jesus was asked, uh, his disciples asked him to explain. So what I'm going to do, we're going to go through it really quick. Um, I'm going to read his parable, and then I'll, I'll drop down and read his explanation for each soil, okay? First, you know what the seed is, right? The seed is the Word of God. It's just the Word of God. It's what I do. This is my job. I throw out seed to you, and it either takes root or not. This is my job. It's actually your job out in the world, right? Just throw the seed. You just broadcast the seed. You don't have to convert anybody. You can't convert anybody. I can't convert anybody. It's not my job to convert you. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convert you, right? And it's your job to respond. So I just sow seed. And this, listen, this should give you, like, you know, license out out in the world. You don't have to, there's no pressure here. You just sow seed. No pressure. Just sow seed. You don't have to convert anybody. Just give them the truth, right? This is what Jesus is saying. This is the picture that he's, he's drawing for us here, right? One sows, one plants, one waters, but God does the miracle, right? As Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Secondly, the soils, of course, are the human hearts, right? These are the human beings that receive the soil and how they respond to the soil. So what I'm going to do again, I'm going to read the part where he gives the parable, then I'll drop down to the applicable verse and give you his explanation. So verses three and four. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Verse 19 is the explanation. Let's look at it. Verse 18 says, hear the parable of the sower. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. I'm going to make this... uh, this comment on each one of these first three soils, there's no fruit here. Okay? No fruit. You'll understand why as we get to the end of the parable. There's no fruit in this hard soil. It's a heart that is clueless about spiritual reality. It's interesting. Over in the Luke account, Jesus says this seed becomes trampled underfoot, right? It's kind of a metaphor for what happens in, in, in many people's lives who hear the truth and they just allow their own self-love and self-concern and immediate concerns to just trample the truth. And they never truly come to see and understand. It's Romans 8:5. It's the mindset on the things of the flesh. No concern for the things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is what? Remember Romans 8? It's hostile toward God. Hostile toward God. Okay, the second soil, verse 5 and 6. Uh, The seed fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Verse 20 and 21, Jesus explains this one. Verse 20 and 21, and the one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Oh boy, this guy's a real Christian, man. Look, he received the word with joy. Oh wait, verse 21, yet there was no firm root in himself and he was only what? What does your text say? He was only what? Temporary. And we know what Jesus is going to say in Matthew 7, right? There'll be many of these guys. It's not just a, not just a few. There'll be many of these guys. Okay. So he says he's only temporary because what when affliction and persecution arise. Now we've talked about this many times. Why does, why does God allow affliction, persecution and trial to come into the true believers life? You need to know if you're real. God knows if you're real, you need to know if you're real because if the, the persecution comes and you fall away, okay we all know the truth and you do too <laughs> right we all know the truth at that point this is what you know what does he say in first peter what does first peter say it is necessary for you that your that your faith be tested it is necessary and if your faith has never been seriously tested trust me it's going to come it's going to come it's necessary this is the word God uses. It's necessary. Go read it. First Peter chapter 1. Go read it. So, this is the... Yeah. This guy may be a church member, but, you know, when it gets hard, he's not going to hang in. He's going to bail. So, again epidemic in my home country. I don't know about yours. It reveals that affliction and persecution will often reveal that a profession of faith was not genuine. But we know what's true for the lover of Jesus. Second Corinthians four seventeen. These momentary light afflictions, of course, Paul's Afflictions were not light by anyone's definition. But he says these momentary light afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. We look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. So the merely religious man or woman is, is still really looking at the things that are seen. They're not truly looking at the things that are not seen. So the third soil, okay? Others fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked them out. Jesus explains this in verse 22. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Again, no fruit. The second soil, there was no fruit. Third soil, no fruit. So what are these weeds? Worry. Don't you hate it? <laughs> I'm just make a confession. Man, I've been a Christian a long time, right? I've been to seminary. I have a degree. I'm a preacher. And worry will still well up in me at times. And I have to consciously, I have to consciously fight it. And I've told you before how I fight it. I fight it with the word and I fight it by looking at God. But why should we worry when we could do what? Worship, right? <laughs> Listen, I want you to think about it. I, I never want you to forget. Worry, worship. Two W's. Worry, worship. Next time worry comes to you, you decide, I'm going to worship. This may be the, some of the best worship you ever give to God. When worry attacks you, anxiety attacks you, you refuse to indulge it and you worship. The second weed is what? What we talked about last week, right? Money. The deceitfulness of riches. I need security. I need comfort. I need materialism. I need ease. I need a bigger house. I need a better car. I need a nicer computer. Oh, the church will be fine. The, 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 the work of missions will be fine. I'm going to indulge myself. Right? The deceitfulness, you know, there's I I don't know the numbers right now, but I think someone says, some theologian, I think this is right. Fifteen percent of everything Jesus said had to do with money and wealth and possessions. Why? Because you know why. Because it gets into your heart. And instead of trusting God, we trust the money. Instead of treasuring God, we trust we treasure the money. It's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. The last soil, verse 8. Others fell on the ground. The good soil yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. Verse 23, Jesus explains. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed, what? Tell me, what? What's the difference between all the other soils and this soil? What does this soil do? It bears fruit, right? So you can always tell it's the James thing. You can always tell the true believer. There will be works. They will, they will be there. We're not earning our salvation by works. We're, we're evidencing our salvation by our works. Huge distinction. A huge distinction. There will be fruit. Some, some bear what? A hundredfold, which is 10,000%. Some 60 Some. 30. So there's the parable of the soils. What is spiritual fruit? You know, I get this question sometimes. What is it? The simple definition is this. It's anything that looks like Jesus in your life. That's a simple definition. Anything that looks or smells or sounds or tastes like Jesus in your life. Um, I'll give you a little bit more information on that. It's a deep and abiding love for Jesus and a hatred for your sin. It's a love for God's word uh, with a spirit of humility and repentance received in a spirit of humility and repentance. It's a hunger for righteousness. It's a presence of the fruit of the spirit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. It's heartfelt worship of Jesus. It's obedience to Jesus. It's living by faith in Jesus. It's using your gifts to love and serve the body. It's honoring him in your finances. It's living the gospel uh, before and communicating the gospel to the lost. It's all of these things. But, you know, it's it's like Paul says, you know, it's like uh, it's the aroma of Christ on us. (laughs) It's the aroma of Christ on us. The world can smell God on me. They hate God, but they can smell God on me. Right? This is in part what's being said. I'm going to read you quickly. Um, I want you to turn, if you would, turn with me to John. And uh, I'm going to read you this wonderful text here about the vine and the branches. And then we'll be done. The vine and the branches. Just to drive home the point, if you're in Christ, he means for you to be fruitful. So... John fifteen verse one, I am the true vine. Jesus says, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, what? What does he do? He prunes it. That's the hard stuff. Why does he prune it? It'll bear more fruit. What happens in? What happens for the good steward on the last day, when his fruit is not burned up? What happens? Reward. Listen, when the trial comes, God's just setting you up for greater reward. You know, we got to start thinking about stuff biblically, right? Instead of wringing our hands and feeling sorry for ourselves. Listen, if the trials come, okay, God's doing something here, right? He's working for my good. How do I need to respond as a biblically literate Christian? How do I need to respond? We continue. He prunes it that it may what? Bear more fruit. Verse three, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me, we stay in the vine. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. You got to stay in Christ. You got to be in the church. You got to be in the word, right? You got to be cooperating with God in your own sanctification. You got to be putting down sin, man. You got to be mortifying sin in your life. This is all the things that this means. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can't do anything. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and he dries up. They gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. This is right after Judas has left. Judas was the the false branch, right? Judas Judas is broken off and cast away. This is what's being being said here, right? Everybody thought Judas was real, but he wasn't real. So he's cast off. Where did I leave off? Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Beloved, there it is. Do you want to glorify God? Bear fruit. Smell like God. Smell like God every day, right? Smell like God when you're on the internet. Smell like God when you deal with your spouse and your kids. Smell like God at the university. Smell like God at your workplace, right? Glorify God. (sighs) You're going to be dead soon. Don't you love it? Shubome likes it. Listen, the Bible says you're going to be dead real soon. So, what's your plan? What's your plan? It's just me. It seems much more wise to cast my lot with God and to sow into eternity, right? Sow into eternity. Not here. I don't care how how I reap here. I care about how I reap there. Right. If you're a thinking person and you understand words on a page, this is where we end up. It's where we end up. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have. Kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you and that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I have people tell me a lot. They say, Jim, I've lost my joy. I said, go obey God. You've lost your joy. Go obey God. You've, there's some place where you're not obeying God. Just go obey him. John 14, 21, and he discloses himself to us. So this, this is a beautiful text about real discipleship. God has called us to live our Christianity uh, like we really believe. We talked about it a lot last week. Like we really believe he's God, Hebrews eleven six 6, and we really believe what, Chinelo? He's a rewarder. I knew you knew that one. He's a rewarder. He's a rewarder. Are you living like God's a rewarder? There's a huge difference between living like he's not and living like he is. There's the, you know, it's a difference between day and night. There's a cosmos here between, uh, there's a universe here between living like, you know, he's a rewarder and not living like he's a rewarder. It's every difference in the world. God knows if you believe. God knows if you really believe because you live like he's a rewarder. All <laughs> right. So, and I got, I just want to share this with you. I'm done. John 15, 11, Jesus says, if you want to go with me, what does he say? You'll taste my joy. So listen, if you come to me and tell me you don't have any joy in your, in your Christianity, you know what I'm going to say to you, right? Go obey the Lord. Abide in the Lord. Obey the Lord. Listen, if you have any questions about the text, let me know. I went through it pretty quick, but I think we all understand what's being said here. It's an important text for us to understand. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the word as always. We thank you. (coughs) Thank you, Father. Blessed are your eyes that see and your ears that hear. And oh, God, by your sovereign grace and mercy we do see we do hear. Lord, I pray that each one of us would take stock and inventory, even as we go home. Am I abiding? Am I glorifying? Life is short. Do I have your perspective on this life? Do I have a heavenly perspective? Am I sowing into eternity or am I still sowing into this earth that's passing away? So, Lord, we ask that you help us understand. And Lord, I pray for everyone in here. I pray that we would be fruitful. I pray that we would be uh, good stewards. I pray that there would be a great reward as we stand before you. Our works of gold and silver and precious stone, not wood, hay, and stubble. So we lift all this to you, Lord. We give thanks and praise to the name of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and I will close in a benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Um, Yeah, be sure to say goodbye to Dumebi. She's leaving Saturday, right? She says she's coming back, but you know what, huh? (laughs) She's coming back. I know I hear this sometimes, and then I never see him again, and something changes. So just in case, you know, be sure to say goodbye to her. Hey, we love you guys. Have a great week. Hope to see you next time.